open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 9 through 13. I love the gospel of Mark. Mark is a, a very special individual. He gets it said in short order. It took Matthew 28 chapters to tell the story of the gospel. It took Mark 16 chapters. It took Luke 24 and John 21. <laughs> but Mark goes right to the point. And actually the temptation of Jesus is recorded in Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, and in Mark chapter 1. And it is in condensed form in Mark. So if you will look with me please, verses 9 through 13. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted of Satan and was with wild beasts. You may be seated. Brother, if we could have the monitors lower, it seems a little loud up here. A young prophet with a sense of destiny and urgency about him and about his mission is the focus of our story tonight. He is called of God. He is the son of God. He heads out of his hometown of Nazareth, out into the wilderness to sort out the father's plan, which succinctly is described to establish the kingdom of God on this earth. It would be planted in the heart of man, but one day literally would be on this earth. He has but three years to accomplish his mission. He does not have an army. He doesn't have a political backing anywhere. Only a short time to achieve a great objective. There were no volunteers. He picked up his followers as he went along in the early days of those three years of ministry. But now, in this part of the Gospel of Mark, he has been baptized by John the Baptist. The Father in heaven says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Something must be next. What is going to happen? And we're told the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness, where he fasted for 40 days and nights. He would have to move with lightning speed for in three years he must accomplish everything that he was to do on this earth. And then he would bow his head on the cross and say, it is finished. And not until it was finished would he give up the ghost. And so then he set about to accomplish the Father's plan. It was urgent. It necessitated the focus being absolutely single-minded. He could not be a double-minded person. He had to focus on the will of God. He could not follow the carefully devised plans of man. He could not allow Satan to interrupt him. He must do. He said, I have come to do thy will, O God. And so he was focused on that. He must understand completely the mission that the Father has assigned to him. Mark doesn't waste time but gives us a thumbnail sketch 
of an intense struggle that lasted for 40 days. In verses 1 through 8, we find in this chapter that a brief description of the ministry of John the Baptist. And then verses 9 and 11, how that he baptized Jesus in water in the river Jordan. And the Holy Ghost descended upon him and the voice of God spoke out of the clouds and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But now then in verse 12, immediately following those momentous events and preparation, the Spirit driveth him, a strong word, driveth him into the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1 it says, Then was Spirit led up into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And then in Luke chapter 4, Luke put it this way in verses 1 and 2, Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned and then was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. So when you glean all three gospel writers' complete description of this temptation on the mount, you understand that this was not a small moment in the life of Jesus. How could he take 40 days out of a three-year span that he had to establish his Father's kingdom on this earth and complete the plan of salvation, die on the cross, be resurrected from the dead, and ascend back to God? And so in the very beginning, he had to sort things out. He had to have a single-minded focus upon the plan and purpose of God. Now, the Scripture only records four men that I know of that fasted for 40 days, Moses and Elijah and Joshua and Jesus. And for each of these men, they were apart from recreation, apart from family obligation, apart from any other occupation, alone with God. Long, extended fast were certainly ordered by God and led by God and they were sustained by God during that period of time. In fact, the scripture is quite clear that he did eat nothing. It was a complete fast. Apparently, he drank water, but he says he did eat nothing. Daniel fasted for 21 days. There were other extended fasts that lasted for three days or seven days. And so fasting is a very important part of the Christian's pursuit of God's will and receiving the power and direction and ability of God in their life to accomplish God's will. What was this temptation all about? It was the most important time in his life to this point. It was about his purpose on this earth. This was not a cheap battle with the flesh. Here's a man 30 years of age that has lived a perfect life, sinless life, been tempted in every point like as we are, yet without sin. And so he was not dealing with lust. He was not dealing with greed. He was not dealing with anger. He was not dealing with rejection. Many times we fast and pray over things that we should have gotten the victory over a long time ago. We are a very immature bunch when it comes to spiritual discipleship. We keep having to renew those early days of our childhood experience in Christ. We're still crawling when we ought to be running. There's a time and a place for us to mature where we're not offended easily and where we get on with the business of accomplishing the greater purpose that God has for us in life. Many of you are still struggling with such petty things in your life that you need to just make up your mind, this is silly, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to allow the devil to browbeat me any longer with this 
particular thing. I've got to be a strong. I've got to be a soldier. I've got to be a leader. I've got to help other people find God. And I am going to get out of these diapers. Hallelujah. I'm going to lay aside the milk and I'm going to take the gospel meat and I'm going to become a soldier of the cross. The temptation of Jesus had to do with his purpose of life, how he would accomplish the Father's plan. So he said goodbye to everything that had held him. He walked out of Nazareth, laid down his carpenter's apron and his tools, kissed his mother goodbye, walked down the dusty streets and out into the dark. I don't even know if he was distracted by the barking of dogs or anything. His single-minded purpose was to get to a place where he would be alone with God. He knew that this was a very important time. So he headed into the wilderness it is described for us. And it says the spirit driveth him. That term does not mean that he went there against his will. For Matthew and Luke carefully tell us that the spirit led him into the wilderness. But there is a strong leading that is more than just an impression. It's more than a gentle nudge. It becomes a driving force inside of our spirit. It means more than food. It means more than family. It means more than anything. It means more than money, more than a career. I've got to hear from God. I've got to know God's will and purpose for my life. So he let go of things that would keep him from being obedient to the Father's plan. He was compelled to go. God is dealing with people in this room tonight. He has nudged and he has gently tugged and he has suggested in your mind that there's a closer walk with God. There's a greater purpose to your life than just to eat three meals a day and then try to diet to take off some of the pounds. More to life than just an education, more to life than just making money. But there is something in your life that God brought you into this world for and gave you breath and lets every heartbeat be sustained for. You have a purpose that God wants you to work towards fulfilling God's perfect plan in your life. God is dealing with you tonight about your purpose. Your goals must never be selfish. Christ instructed us in Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. He was not out there in the wilderness praying for money. He was seeking the kingdom of God. He was seeking the power of God. Evil influence will stalk your quest for a closer walk with God. Verse 13 tells us he was 40 days tempted of the devil. Many believe that he fasted 40 days and the angels were there and God was there and the devil showed up at the end of the time and gave him a little trouble. He gave him trouble for full 40 days. He was there. In fact, the Bible says, in the presence of wild beasts. Verse 13, he was with the wild beasts. And so even the anger, the, the, the ferocious wild beasts seeming wanting to attack him with demonic power, only drove him closer to the heart of God. He was not distracted. He was not distracted. But supernatural help will come, for it tells us also that angels of God were there. And no doubt the Heavenly Father, in a special manifestation during this 40 days that Jesus fasted and he was tempted of the devil the full 40 days, 
the father also communicated with him. Gabriel came to Daniel and certain of the, the powers of evil that assailed the kingdom of Israel in prayer for 21 days on Daniel's part brought in uh, uh, Gabriel and eventually Michael teaming up together to fight the prince of Persia and the prince of Grisha. Don't you understand that there this, at this time in the life of Christ, the angels of God were dispatched from heaven to go down there because Jesus was living in a physical human, human body. And he had certain limitations imposed upon him. And so while he was attacked by demons and wild beasts, God had angels. Never fear the quest that God sets out for you. You will have divine supernatural power to attest to every victor that you need. He had the assurance of God's plan. He knew the Father's will. You need to know God's plan for your life. You need to get serious about and quit frolicking and take time to be serious with God. How can God talk to you? When you get up and turn the television on and you got the radio blasting in your ears on your way to work and people at work are not talking about Jesus and there's hardly a serious moment. You have to find a place, a quiet place to get alone with God and sort out some things and hear the voice of God. The conflict in the wilderness was not with the carnal flesh, but with the spirit world. He had to resist the devil on every score. School teachers are losing their jobs because of relationships with people of the opposite sex much younger than themselves. Ministers have lost their ministry over similar things. But Jesus' temptation was not in that area one bit whatsoever. He was there alone with his thoughts, sorting out some things, wrestling with the issues, seeing the shortcuts, rejecting them at every turn, spurning the ways that would wreck his mission on the face of this earth. In your serious moments with God, you have to determine, I will not be deterred by wrong relationships. Young people, part of that means I will not marry the wrong person. I will not date the wrong person. If you're dating somebody that you're not sure that you, the Lord would be pleased you'd be married to, well then, break it off. Break it off. I'm meddling. <laughs> and it's getting silent. If there was a lot more serious thought than the dating years, there'd be a lot less divorce after marriage. Seeing the shortcuts, spurning the ways that would wreck his mission. Finally, with his mind made up, with the clouds clearing away and the mist gone, his vision is clear. He came out of the wilderness preaching the gospel. If you read down further in verse 14 and 15, it says, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's after those 40 days of fasting and prayer. That's after the temptation. He came preaching, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. He had his message. He had his purpose. He had the wherewithal. Now then he had to go about the task. If we will take time and shore up our spiritual life and determine the direction that God has for us, 
will come out doing the will of God. If it's preaching, teaching, singing, working, witnessing, prayer ministry, intercessory ministry, whatever it is, when you have taken time to sort the issues out and find the plan of God for your life, you come out of there led by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that takes you into the wilderness and leads you and protects you from the, the beast and the demons and God sends angels to be with you, that same Holy Spirit will then inspire you and teach you and lead you in the ministry that God is challenging you with. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 4, and verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and they went out a fame of him through all the region round about. After he fasted those 40 days and nights and overcome every temptation, he came out of that wilderness in the power of the Spirit. When you overcome, when you've been battle-tested, when you've been through the mill, you'll come out in the power of the Spirit. Verse 15 through 19, we're told that, and this is in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The young man who walked out of the city of Nazareth, headed out into the hill country to be alone with God for 40 days, comes back in the power of the Spirit with his focus single-mindedly set on doing the will of God, and he begins to preach the kingdom of God is near and telling the people to repent and to believe and turn their life over to God. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Don't go out to try to sing. Don't go out to try to teach. Don't go out to try to do anything without the anointing and the leading and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at these temptations that we have identified during the 40 days. Now, at some point in his life, he was tempted in every point like as we are. These were biggies. These were colossal temptations. Had nothing to do with the flesh and carnality. Had nothing to do with sin and evil. It had to do with his purpose for life. The first one began with bread. The world today is concerned with bread. A lot of problems over bread. Think about world hunger, poverty, famine. It's a great need in our day. And if somehow there can be an answer to the poverty and to the economic issues of the world, people will follow the drumbeat behind the Antichrist and say, this man has the answer. And so there was a temptation to offer the world bread, a shortcut to fame, and glory, and power, and rulership over a kingdom because people were given bread. The bread lines are always there. The hungry are always there. Karl Marx said, not prayer, but plows, steam shovels, tractors. Feed the people and they'll eat out of your hand. Communism was born out of a false promise to share the wealth with the people and you will, you will be in possession of greater things. It was an illusion, and it did not work, and so it failed miserably, a shallow promise. But the devil said to Jesus, if you're the son of God, 
turn these stones into bread. Moses fed the people manna in the wilderness. Turn these stones here on the Sea of Galilee and all across the desert. Palestine is littered with stones everywhere. Turn them into bread. Anybody that can solve the problem of world hunger will never need to die on a cross. There will never be any need for a crucifixion. You will not need to sacrifice. Just feed the people. Turn the stones into bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Now think about what the devil was offering Jesus. No more sweat of the brow. No more toil in the sun. In the heat of the day. Free bread. People will be on easy street. There are a lot of get-rich-quick schemes. I read the email on my computer on a daily basis until it got raunchy, and today I unplugged the whole thing, and there's no email coming into Evangel Temple until we can sort through the computer issues and, and, and find out what's happened. But I notice on the email messages, stuffing envelopes, you can get rich. Well, if you stuff them with a million dollars at a whack, you will. But if you stuff them at the plan they have, I've read up on those plans. There are illusions of grandeur. Real estate offers, how you can get rich. All kinds of offers that they want to get your money up front. And you'll never get a dime. They're illusions. It's a trick of the devil. People want to get rich quick. Earn money without work. Strike it rich, rich with gimmicks. Earn a diploma, even a doctorate within 10 days. Get a license to preach. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And in the beginning, God said, man shall earn his living by the sweat of his face. The word of God pointed Jesus to a cross, to a windswept hill on Golgotha, where his blood would drain out of his body. And turning stones into bread was an illusion, a shortcut to power that he wouldn't listen to. So he defeated the devil. The second temptation, in Matthew it's listed third, but in Luke it's listed second. In Luke chapter 4 and verses 5 through 12, the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for it is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou wilt therefore worship me, all shall be thine. Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Satan offered him everything. All the kingdoms of this world, People have gone to that mountain. They've looked out over the world. And Satan says, just, just a little bending of the knee. It's not going to hurt anything. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as I preached a week ago, said, you can put us in the fiery furnace, but we will not bend the knee. We will not bow and will not worship that graven image. We will not. Daniel said, throw me to the lions. That's okay. I'm not going to worship any other god. 
there comes a time when you, like Jesus, must deal with the issues of life, and you will not bow before a false system of worship. Gary brought this out in our prayer meeting tonight. There's a great compromise offered our nation to accept and tolerate evil religions that do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior of the world, that do not believe that the blood-sprinkled way of the cross is the only way to heaven, that do not believe that God gave His only begotten Son to save the world, and that's the only way to be saved. And friends, you can't ever compromise this gospel. There is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. And so we must be faithful and true, and we must not bow down before other gods. Satan was offering a cheap way to establish the kingdom. No need for that cross. No need to shed your blood. Use my weapons. Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. Something has been whispered into your ear this past week. Maybe even today. Let's make a deal. You don't have to go down to that altar. You don't have to read that Bible. There's a quicker way to success. I'll show you how to make money, how to make big bucks. I'll show you how to be a success, how to win friends and influence people. Just get on this positive thinking track and let's get our, our minds made up that we are our own God and we can become our God. We don't need another God. And the devil is whispering into your ear, let's make a deal. No deals, devil. No deals. It is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The third temptation that is listed by Luke, and is listed a second by Matthew, is found in chapter 4 and verse 9 of Luke. He brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest thou at any time dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. The Jewish fable believed, and it was commonly known among the Jews, that when Messiah would come, he would come floating down out of the clouds, and it would be a sign to the Jews that he was the Messiah. What Satan is whispering into the ears of Jesus is, forget the cross, forget the trial. You don't need Gethsemane. You don't need the judgment hall. You don't need Golgotha. We don't need that tomb. We don't need that, that story of crucifixion and resurrection. Here's a better deal. Just come floating down out of the clouds. Angels will come. They'll bear you up. You will not dash your foot against a stone and the kingdom will be given to you. It's an alternative. It's a shortcut. Not paying the price, not doing it God's way. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. We tempt God with some of our shortcuts. We're trying to make a deal. We're not doing it all God's way. This book is still right. From cover to cover, it's the word of God. And if your life doesn't measure up to what's written in this book, you're wrong. And you just need to acknowledge that and say, Lord, forgive me and get me on the right track. You don't need another plan. After that, Jesus came preaching. 
he returned in the power of the Spirit. He went into the synagogue, stood up to read, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Beloved, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you begin to do God's work, you will succeed. You will make a mark. You will make a dent in this world. I want to close by telling you that Jesus did all of this to save you and I from disaster. He was tempted in every point like as we are, yet without sin. We're told that he accomplished a great mission. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13, verse 14 and 16, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing, triumphing over them in it. I see that triumph. When Satan had to go moping out of there, when the angel showed up, and God said, that's enough. And angels ministered to him. And he had completely conquered the devices of the devil. And now then he says to us, principalities have been spoiled. Powers have been broken. And I have won the victory. And you will be able to come through the struggles. And you will be able to face the conflict in the wilderness. And I will bring you through. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 and 16 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but in all points was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 18 um, says, he, verse 8, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. There is one in our midst tonight that understands what you're going through. He has won the victory. He has triumphed. You just need to hone in on that victory, on that triumph. He has spoiled principalities and powers, made a show of them openly. And Satan is embarrassed and defeated. He has nothing to brag about. God has taken away that poison. It will not destroy you. You are more than a conqueror through him that loved you. And I challenge you tonight to find God's purpose and pursue it with all of your heart.